0: This is Keyshawn Rains, the host of Working Title with Keyshawn Raines, where amazing things happen. A series of past the collection plate style conversations with a Creole, queer, femme, yogi, mom, coach, author, and of course podcast host. With a nomadic soul, a quirky sense of humor, and an activator of empowerment. These conversations are just a chance for me to speak on ways to be mindful in a mindless world. Stories are shared, folks are empowered, inspired, and impacted to be more phenomenal versions of themselves through simple conversations about complex shh, like love, life, and the pursuit of being real. Thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Working Title. This is Keyshawn Rains, and I am super excited to bring you today's episode. Today's guest features a queer black writer, organizer, and trans masculinist. I had to really practice saying that word. transmasculinist, whose work pushes at the normative boundaries of gender and sexuality. Today's guest was featured on a TEDx talk. They've been a speaker across the country. They are active in women and gender studies at Louisiana State University. I mean, I'm gonna let you guys go back and read her bio in your own time. All I have to say is today's conversation really gave me an opportunity to explore activism through a new lens. Today's conversation is with the one and only Nalo Zidane. Super excited to talk to Nalo. Oh my gosh. Let me just say, let me just say that the way I connected with Nalo was in a clubhouse room. I'm telling you all, this is the second guest that I found in clubhouse. In a clubhouse room, Nalo got onto the stage and spoke and it was a mic dropping experience. And then as it turns out, because there's only like two degrees of separation in the queer black community, Nalo also was a featured guest at an event called Butch Voices that my partner was a co-collaborator on and so you know the world just got even smaller when i had a chance to talk to nalo so super excited about this conversation go ahead sit back get comfortable and take a couple of long deep cleansing breaths and get ready to listen to another conversation i'm glad to be here i am um had a great weekend and we had a uh, family in town and they actually just left today so we kind of like kind of reset the house you know it can be after you've had guests you're kind of like i'm happy to see you i'm also really happy that you're leaving (laughs) that's exactly
1: i know exactly what that feels like
0: yeah i also just want to get us fully just grounded in our bodies before we move into our conversation you know for me meditation is my favorite medium of connection so i just want to just invite you to take a couple of deep breaths just get comfortable in your body just kind of invite your whole and complete self into this moment so that we can move Mm -hmm. through this conversation in a really beautiful and very authentic and also fun and relaxing relaxing way so all right thank you for that invitation absolutely absolutely so as we get started, uh, I'm gonna give you the, the mic, so to speak, and just give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the listeners and the viewers, and just by sharing your name, your pronouns, and uh, where you're from.
1: Great, excellent. My name is Nalo. I use any pronouns respectfully. Um, and I am a queer black multi creator, I'll say. Um, I I am a black masculinity scholar a trade, trans masculinist, a writer, um, community believer and someone who aspires toward uh change in the world. So uh, a shapeshifter, change maker, uh bridge gapper, whatever else you could <laughs> throw in there. I just love community, so.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So where in the world are you recording from today?
1: Uh, I'm recording from Detroit, Michigan.
0: Okay. Now, are you from Detroit originally, or where is that home for you?
1: No. No, yeah, Detroit is home for me currently. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner and I live together here. Okay. But I am from, I was born in uh, the DMV and raised between New York and the D.C. area, so.
0: Okay. I got to spend some time in DC over the last couple of years while my partner was stationed there. Um, she's in the Navy and she was stationed at an assignment linked to the Pentagon. And so we stayed in Alexandria for a couple of years. So just like right outside of DC and, um, it was great you know I'd never I'd only been to visit before and so it was still Mm -hmm. there was a little bit of magic and mystery about the 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 district I guess the city or is it considered a city I don't know I know it's not a state but yeah it's
1: right it's it's a district district
0: okay hence yeah just
1: serving as the capital it's the only real rule-breaking kind
0: of (laughs) <laughs> thing like that. Okay. In the United States. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so I just remember one of the things that stood out to me when I was there is seeing the license plates, you know, people's license plates that had this bumper sticker or this phrase that said taxation mm-hmm. without representation. And I remember asking about that and I was like, "What the hell does that mean?" But then it was explained to me that because it is a district, it is not a city nor a state that it doesn't have the same legislative rights as the rest of the country does, which is kind of bizarre when you think about.
1: To be the capital of the nation, at that. Exactly. That's another podcast. That's a a
0: whole other podcast. But, um, But yeah, so in the time that I was there, you know, I did a lot of very touristy things and went to the mall, National Mall, got to see all the monuments. And I would definitely say my favorite place to go, which I got to go to frequently, was you know the Black Museum, also known as the Smithsonian mm-hmm. African American Museum, and uh, it was it was definitely an impactful experience for me. So I'm glad I got to spend time there. DC was never really on my radar of a place to go, let alone a place to live within. So I'm glad that I got to experience that. So
1: yeah, Chocolate City, right? Yeah, that's, that's what queer culture, Black culture is um, all up in everywhere.
0: DC. Everywhere. I mean, I was I was genuinely blown away. I'm from Southern California originally. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I spent some time in North Carolina and Texas and New York for a little while. And so being in D.C. was, like you said, Chocolate City. Like I was definitely I went to Ben's Chili Bowl. I got to actually meet the woman who was, you know, the original owner of the space. She was there that day. And I was just like, whoa. You know, it was I had not seen so many black people in one particular concentrated area, I think in my life. So
1: good. Dan's Chili Bow is, is that stuff too. That the, You went to the U Street location downtown? Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. that's it
1: right there. Yeah. It was I
0: love Dan's Chili Bowl. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, so <laughs> I have a question for you. If someone were to ask you, what do you stand for? What would you say?
1: I stand for freedom, period. In every way, shape or form. I stand for freedom and to uh, I guess you know to kind of break that down a little bit more it would be to uh, analyze how to coexist with multiple kinds of freedoms at one time you know I I know and understand that as a black person there are limitations around how I experience freedom as a queer person there are limitations around how I uh, you know practice or experience freedom in in my body in my Sexuality and my identity, and uh, even as you know, a person who is perceived woman and perceived masculine, like there are limitations around how the world is socialized to be able to take that up well. So I think um, the way that I'm constantly in practice in my own life is to center um, how I show up in pleasure and what freedom means to me constantly, even when it goes up against the grain of any other human's idea of freedom. It's like, I want to figure out how to not harm each other while our freedoms coexist.
0: Yeah, I like that. How to not harm each other while our freedoms coexist. I think that's so yeah. valuable because I was having a conversation. I have a son who's 19 years old. He's a sophomore at Dillard University Woo, and just ooh, made the ooh, dean's list. New Orleans, just that's made, where I just moved from. Yeah, and just made the dean's list. So I'm like, you know, overjoyed on, with Dean. mom pride, you Come know. More. <laughs> and uh, we were having a conversation yesterday, and he and I have really profound conversations about everything. And we were having a conversation about, you know, gender identity and gender representation, and you know what the freedoms and in, 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 in those spaces and what those you know experiences can look like. And that concept of making sure that your freedoms don't tread on my freedoms, so that mm-hmm. my freedoms aren't canceling out someone else's freedom. So being able to really mm-hmm. have freedoms that can exist interdependently you know and integrate within each other without anyone feeling like their existence in a a freedom-based lifestyle or a freedom-based mindset is being limited by someone else operating in the same way you know so that that was interesting when you said that it just reminded me of a conversation i had with him and thinking of that same thing like what does that look like is that a utopian a fantasy to be able to have that, you know, or, you know, mm. how do we teach that, let alone practice it without completely dismantling, you know, the systems that we currently operate in, you know, is that And is that that's
1: possible? the, that's the, that's the end all be all question in general. And I think that the biggest part of that is to stay curious and to be like, to allow your imagination to go beyond white imagination. Like I am constantly questioning everything I was ever told, everything in my life, everything I call myself, everything. That has been named by someone that isn't me Um, um, just to you know like I'm like am I just being convinced to live a life that is shaped by someone else's imagination or sense of normalcy Mm. or am I practicing freedom in ways that um, is kind of like a duality which is like I understand how to survive the world that was created without me in mind and I know who I am outside of this imagination so I think it's so deeply important to me to stay curious and to and to, to understand my understanding of freedom. And, and I think of freedom as like um, in a nonviolent discourse, like I'm, I'm not thinking of freedom as like, you can abuse any power you want or do whatever you want with anything you can't. Right. I'm saying paying attention to everything that is alive around you, whether it be the, from the things growing from the earth and the soil to each of us as human beings. Like I'm saying dismantling hierarchy and I'm saying sharing space. Not who is more valuable and who is disposable. Like those are not freedom ideologies for me. I'm saying, how do we show up to share space on this earth um, in this time together without committing acts of harm to one another?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think if we're able to introduce these, these concepts or these ideas and these practices into a youth mind, you know, in in the earliest stages of development to be able to have conversations about these things so that it becomes part of the norm. So by the time my, you know, three-month-old nephew, Ziggy, is in his 30s, that the world will actually start to look different because it won't be new thought at that point. It'll be mm-hmm. like, well, this is just how we do things now, you know?
1: Or so, trust in Ziggy or as tr- a baby, like the children are the most Do free. this. Like I'd be like, please, <laughs> we, we need to like, to be, to be like, to be able to move in this kind of socialized conditioned society, we had to strip ourselves of so many understandings of freedom to just be like can't beat them join a model that they shape all of us into but like children they don't be caring they don't care if they hurt your feeling they don't care if they like so that's the difference is like children are already unapologetically free absolutely free without condition and it's like how do we learn from them as teachers without then also saying they're underdeveloped because they don't know how to behave in a world yet and I'm like nah I want I'm trying to sit at your feet and learn like what it means to to you know share the world and to be kind. Like children are kind, and they also are passionate with feeling. So sometimes that can be that can look like children are being mean or whatever else. But I think I want to kind of capture the essence of how they are allowed to feel the fullness of their, the experience of feeling in their bodies, and we direct them to maybe understand how to handle that. Because you're always allowed to experience the range of your feeling, but um, we are never allowed to harm each other in that. But I think children's are definitely teachers innately for freedom practice.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was I was in a clubhouse room the other day and one of the like closing questions for the end of the conversation was if you could switch places with any person in the world, who would it be? And I said, my three month old nephew, Ziggy, I would love yeah. to be in his shoes or his little toes for a day just to have that sense of. Wonder and limitlessness, and and truthfully, like you said, a higher level of understanding of how this world really works, what's really going on, mm-hmm. you know, before all the imprinting and all the other programming that kind of seeps in that strips away that very innate spiritual divine understanding of things that I believe is That's right. is is lost sometimes once you leave that youthful that youthful state. So yes, the babies yep. they know. The babies they know. They know. They be knowing. knowing. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So if you think about spirituality, can you tell me what that means for you? What that looks like for you? That's a
1: great question. Um, For me, spirituality is paying attention to aliveness, whether it be um, centering presence in your own body. Or again, connecting to everything alive around you, and knowing that it all has a purpose to sustain every other thing that's alive on the earth. So, I think spirituality is also, for me, the interconnectedness of something greater than ourselves. Um, so, you know, there's so many different kinds and and you know genres and everything of spiritual practice and spirituality in and of itself. Um, and as I kind of think about them as tools rather than you know, uh, measures for indoctrination. Um, I kind of, I, I really feel deeply connected to the greater magic of like evolution and expansion and complexity.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes, I like how you said. Not for indoctrination. I think when I think mm-hmm. of spirituality, <clears throat> I feel like it's 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 been entered into conversation more casually i would say than maybe you know 15 20 years ago where you know people i've heard my you know people ask the question you know are you religious or are you spiritual or you know where do you fit and you know i grew up in i'd say in the church but in several churches because you know i was born in the 70s i was baptized catholic i went to catholic schools for most of elementary school and then by the time i was going into middle school and high school My parents, who've been together since they were 15 years old, also Catholic school kids, uh, we started going to like Southern Baptist churches. And that was one, another level of indoctrination. And then by the time I left home to go to college and explore the world as an adult, I was like, I ain't never going back to church again. Because I took my very first theology class in my sophomore year of college and learned about all these different you know world religions you know buddhism and and islam and and hinduism and all these other things and i said it kind of sounds like everybody's saying the same basic thing Mm -hmm. just packaging it in a way that makes sense to their audience and kind of letting it be that and so now in my you know early to mid 40s i'm recognizing that my connection to this sense of magic like you said this sense of awareness of there's something that's bigger than the biggest thing that we can even imagine that's really working working this whole world you know and my practice of meditation is really something that's given me a chance to tap into that in a really deep way so what are Mm -hmm. some some practices you know that, that you have that have kind of given you a chance to really tap into some of this magic
1: I would say loving. Mm-hmm. Um, loving is probably a central practice for me. Not probably, it is a central practice for me. And, I'm, and I think of love as an act of worship, um, as making space for freedom, making space for right relationship, making space for community. And um, that, that, that small, seemingly small in the space of my life as an anecdote, you know, for this moment, I think of it as like, I am actively engaging In a greater conjuring by impacting someone else in love or something else in love. The way I treat my plants and the way I treat my lover are not different. The way that I love my friends and the way that I love my sisters is not different. And um, so I have a deep relationship to love as spirituality, um, being a core practice for how I um, have respect for a person shaping, what our person has been through and also that no matter what those things are a person or or anything that is alive is deserving of deep, everlasting love. I also love to meditate. Um, I practice uh, sonic meditations often, which is for me, I will turn on a, um, like, uh, what are they called? Uh, like a beta Hertz track or, um, different frequencies, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I will sit, like sit with my hands on my, on my thighs. And I will just like allow myself to make sounds. I will harmonize with the frequency. I'll move within the frequency. I'll allow a spiritual message to come through me in that frequency. And it's really powerful. I have so many recordings and my, my partner is always like, you need to make an album or something or share this with the world. Cause it's so beautiful. Um, but I, I, I love it as just an active, like, it's like a nonverbal communication, yeah. like, and and verbal as in, like, structured words, but it's just, like, it's communicating something, even if it's that I'm grieving and releasing that, even if it's that I'm in need and I, I can't immediately satisfy that longing, it's, like, it's the release from me, and it also is fueling something someone else needs, mm-hmm. so it's, like, wherever that sound goes, I know it reaches where it's purpose to reach. Yeah. So those are some of my favorite practices I love for
0: spiritual. That. I love that the 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 nonverbal audible release mm-hmm. is it can feel really uh what's the word I'm looking for really carnal in a sense. It's like I just have to get this out. You know, I think of like, mm-hmm. you know, a wolf in the wild and they howl and they they shriek and you know, they mm-hmm. they make mm-hmm. sounds. You know, I think there's a very uh, you know, animalistic part of us that needs to be able to just release sound out of our bodies and oftentimes we've been trained especially women you know have been trained to bring your voice down don't be so loud make sure you're not making too much noise this or that or even with kids you know why are the kids being so loud they're being kids they're being loud that's what kids do they're expressing so i love that i listen to um same sometimes i will listen to frequencies you know uh you know 512 417 different you know binaural mm-hmm. beats and things like that sometimes That's just binaural to, beats. yeah That's have, what i was trying to think
1: yeah, was, yeah.
0: i i was filling you and i was i was like i think this is what she's talking about um i use those in meditations as well sometimes i'll do the silent meditation my my deepest practice i would say or my my deepest uh, intentional practice of meditation started when i was introduced to Vipassana. And so these deep, you know, uh, second sight intuitive styles meditation Mm -hmm. going out into basically sensory deprivation spaces to be able to just go super, super deep. Once I, it was amazing. And I had an experience, uh, it was in 2017, where I went out to Joshua Tree and I was out there for 10 days. And when I was out there, probably about the fourth or fifth day, I had this super clairvoyant experience and i could see my son (laughs) doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing he was i was away his dad was away and he had the house to himself you know his dad and i have been divorced since he was four years old yeah so he had the house to himself he was in his teens and in my second sight i saw him dressed all in white and there were people everywhere and then i saw sirens and like cop cars So when I came home, I said, what were you doing on this day? And he's like, oh, that's when the party got broken up by the cops. And I was like, haha. So for me, my practice gives me a deeper sense of connection to that intuitive psychic ability. You know, and so recognizing that staying connected to the practice of meditation, staying connected to the practice of getting grounded really helps me always feel that sense of spiritual alignment you know so so yeah Yeah, absolutely it's it's just it's a necessary part of what i do so i want to switch gears a little bit and ask you um some questions about your your activism would you kind of tell me a little bit about you consider yourself an activist and what are some things that you're that you're really activating right now
1: um i myself am constantly like like i said i want to i'm always fighting for what freedom looks like i'm fighting for how to keep love at the center of our lives at all times and i'm fighting for a sense of community that is non-punitive or violent um so for me the way that i am practicing like i like that language of like what are you activating um it is those things you know I, i want to be able to i have a i am purposed like my middle name means one who gathers the people and brings them together mm. um and that's just been such a, i am a person who can bridge the gap um and typically when i go into space or share space or facilitate space with people or even you know what i'm saying hosting folks in, in my home things like that like back in the good old days obviously these days mm. but when i think about stuff like that i'm I'm thinking about how, um, you know, we are all constantly learning what it means to love, mm. constantly learning what it means to be in right relationship to one another. And I recognized very young that the universe had blessed me with a language uh, to bridge gaps. And when I say that, I mean like there are often conversations and people that can't be reached um, by how impacted we are by certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm usually a person who has the, the patience, the know how to reach those people. And so um, I'm someone who at the center of of my work and my personhood and and myself as an activist is to be at the center of love as a universal language for response um, from those who are shaped by certain limitations or containers um, that they may be positioned to or or neatly fit in comfortably. um, But also that there's something greater than that, that they should pay attention to. So I think Um, my activism and what I'm activating is how to use love in the response um, of like what our freedom looks like together to coexist Mm -hmm. because I can't stop you from believing or thinking what you believe but I can bring attention to um, how certain connections are harmful to certain people and what we do about it um, in order to be able to coexist freely amongst one another so Right. That's a little bit about how I understand my activism.
0: I like that. I like that introducing love as a response is is really profound when you think about it because I think that we're so some are still so programmed to to think of love as a a weakness or a vulnerability mm-hmm. or you know, and it does require vulnerability you know to really act to really act from a place of love or to respond from a place of love love is also the the one of the universal truth of this existence yeah. is that we all exist because of this existence of unconditional overwhelming universal limitless love and so to be able to to weave that into responses to injustice or responses to even types of oppression i think that being able to say okay let me Let me see how I can approach this in a way that will move us through a loving experience as opposed to just a combative experience where we're actually not making any progress at all. So I like that. Because
1: that. that, that that connects so deeply to like abusive power dynamics. It's like, I'm not coming at you to prove or to fit you within the binary of innocent, guilty, right, or wrong. I'm trying to find the harm and see how we break harm patterns, how we shape possibilities. I'm not like, it does nothing to point my finger at you, but make you want to defend yourself and rightfully so. But I think I, I don't know that we have many models for meeting harm with support rather than punishment. And, or at least not um, allowing love to be part of the conversation mm-hmm. of that accountability rather mm-hmm. than punishment. And so for me, that's, that's a lot of what's centered in my community work is how do we speak both those languages? Like how do we be accountable to how we're contributing to harm in a particular way or in the reifying it in the greater world um, and also know that um, we are only yielding to our shaping you know what I'm saying so I think it's it's deeply important to to be able to not dehumanize folks as we try to navigate what it means to show up in community and right relationship to one another yeah yeah it's that's hard to do. It's, it's hard because we do. got feelings, okay? We got
0: feelings. <laughs> we got feelings. It, but it's it seems like such a it seems like such a simple uh, formula to be able to eliminate dehumanization of human beings with love. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. one thing that all human beings need to feel alive, you know, to feel a sense yes. of purpose, to feel a sense of appropriate placement is to be able to feel a sense of love, you know, so yeah, it it, trying to go without it, you know, trying to move away from it just seems like a a fool's journey. We've been doing it, you know, as a society. Yep. And we've been successfully failing at it, you know, in a lot of (laughs) ways. So it's, it's limited by it at best. Exactly, sure. exactly, exactly. So I noticed some pictures in your in your background of a little one. Tell me a little bit more about oh, yes. this person that I see.
1: <laughs> so this is Evelyn. This is my godchild. And really, the a really transformation point in my life, a deeply pivotal transformation point, uh, because this child is white. And before her, I have to admit, I was deeply like, white people, y'all over there, I'm over here with my people and this is what it is. And um, I've been a nanny on and off for uh, about a decade throughout my life. And this is the last child that I nannied before like COVID took over the world. Uh, But uh, something about this child completely changed my life and changed my view of the world and kind of rerouted me back to a time and I think this was definitely spiritual. I think this is definitely empathic, and I think it was absolutely connected to other lives that I've lived mm-hmm. or connections to to our ancestry mm-hmm. to a time where um before race and before hardship and before oppression, there was joy, there was love, there was deep sense of community there was our traditions weren't limitations, like all these things and when I met Evelyn, <laughs> she was just the sweetest child she. She was having trouble latching onto the breast when her mother uh, was breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And she was having trouble latching so she wouldn't eat well. So Mm -hmm. she was constantly crying, just crying. And we ended up uh, having this relationship that whenever I connected with her, she was just full of ease. As soon as we connected, I didn't have any milk for her. I didn't have anything. I would bring her to her mother to feed. And when she would come back to me. She would just be so sweet. We took walks together every day. We would sing together. We did baby yoga. We would like just—I would make up songs all the time. And she's all over my Instagram. So anyone who follows me, I know would see her her little her little life journey or our little time together. Um, and her right before we fully separated, I, I did my last visit—well, second to last visit at the time—with her parents, and they were like. We want to know if you want to be her godparent and i was shocked first that was the first thing as i was very shocked but then i was also shocked at myself because i was like in order for me to responsibly make room for love in this child i can't have the same understanding of like nah fuck you white people Excuse my language mm-hmm. but that that's that's you know essentially how i I was navigating the world. It's like, well, I can, I can have that mm-hmm. mindset, but then I have to say no to this child. Like I can't, I'm not going to be able to show up for her in a profound way and love her the way that I know I love and engage with love um, if I only see her as oppressor or a person that will be able to harm me. Right. And so I was like, it's, I live in a both and and then some world, not an either or. So mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to choose you know what i'm saying this world's imagination over how i know love to be triumphant over anything mm-hmm. and i embraced her and this child just continues to change my life and even when i spoke with her yesterday her mom's like she's having meltdowns so i sometimes i'm gonna facetime you but you have to make her more songs on marco Polo's this little video app oh yeah i know marco and so Polo. i uh yeah so she so i was like you she was like you gotta send her more songs because that's the only thing that calms her down And as soon as we got on facetime her face just lit up and she's so cute and smiley and it's just like our connection is so far beyond the, like a container the world could create around us to make us dissonant and so like i i know how radical i feel about coming up against white systems i know how i feel about the the limitations of the white imagination, like whiteness does not limit my own imagination, but I also know that um, my ability to love will not be stifled because of this world's shaping. I love her. I will always love her. I am her godparent today and she's the sweetest thing that's ever happened to me for sure. Wow. Thank
0: you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That, that, that warms my heart. I have a godmother, and i was actually just spoke speaking to her last night her and my mom my two moms is what i call them and mm-hmm. my godmother was you know introduced into my life when i was an infant in a very you know traditional catholic you know way at church and the whole vibe or whatever and so yeah last night we were talking and i was you know being playful with her saying you know, you were ordained by God to be my, my third parent. Do you understand how serious that is? Cause she was joking and she always says, I don't know why your mom chose me. I don't want I don't know why your mom chose me because they have been friends since they were teens. And my mom was more of a, you know, a meek, you know, good girl, quote unquote. And my yeah. godmother was a little more free. And a little more, you know, adventurous, a little Libra. You know, she's a Libra as well. So Me too. <laughs> she, you know, she... And she is the best person my mother could have possibly chose to be my godparent. And she is someone who has continued to serve as just a model human being, a representation of love, a representation of freedom, a representation of individuality and, and creativity. And when really? I was... Evelyn's age, I was having phone calls with my godmother before FaceTime, mind you. But she was telling me last night how (laughs) she would get her AT&T long distance phone bill and say, I must have been talking to Keyshawn a lot this month. And she (laughs) would say to herself, how can I spend an hour talking to a three year old or a four year old? But but we definitely have that, that beautiful connection, like you said, that goes beyond, you know, form and space and age and any of those things. So that's a really amazing, you know, role and, and experience that you get to step into. So I, I know you cherish it and just thank know you. that Evelyn cherishes it as well. And so it's, that's awesome. Oh, I love, I, I did see the photos. I was like, I'm going to ask her about this baby because I, yes. I have more questions. I want to know. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of Boy, so there was course. something that you mentioned on our, you know, questionnaire before this conversation, and it was about this this thing that we all know as cancel culture. Would you tell me a little bit about mm-hmm. some of your thoughts about cancel culture and and how it's really impacting our our world? You know, our people in particular.
1: Yes. Um, so there, there is no. I want to name first before I respond to that. There's no clear cut. Uh, definition for cancel culture, right. so it's it makes it hard to address it in certain ways. But I think um, cancel culture as abuse um, and in a particular form of justice that produces harm is is what I'm against. Not so much uh, uh, cancel culture practices being like to, at the ex- extreme level ways to get the attention of a person that's pervasively being harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't support cancel culture in the ways that it disposes of humans or has uh, created kind of like this reactionary um, almost mob like mentality for pulling, pulling on humans attention to things mm-hmm. without process or without um, any shaping around, you know, calling in. I would say before calling out. So I I have a really deeply, I think my understanding of cancel culture, as far as it pertains to mainstream social media and how people who aren't without certain skills or knowledges in a particular capacity, um, are or even without knowing generally are ignorant ignorant to the Mm -hmm. consequences of what could happen when these things are abused in certain ways. Makes me like push up against cancel culture as a kind of uh, justice at all. Right. So for me, I believe that um, yes, we call people in before we call them out, and I think the calling out is strategized, not just an impulsive thing that is structured around our feelings. I think it impacts survivors and victims to think that those that's their only options. Right. Um, I think it's a breakdown in community for a survivor or victim, however you identify to even have to do the labor of trying to figure out um, how to do those things, because Mm -hmm. anyone who is healing through harm or um, needing an accountability practice needs community support. That's not a space that any of us should have to take on ourselves. So the way that cancel culture is currently structured um, as far as it pertains to the mainstream harm models, Mm -hmm. I don't support and I don't think humans are disposable in that way. Um, and I would like to see community accountability models be structured around support for the harm doer and the person who is harmed.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that. Community accountability looks and feels a lot different than cancel culture. Because if we think of even, even in our smallest communities, our our family communities, there's opportunities where harm has been done, whether knowingly or unknowingly, and that there is the the harmer and the one who's been harmed. And I think if we Mm -hmm. navigate within our smallest communities from the standpoint of a loving communal accountability experience so that we can actually learn, evolve and grow, if we applied that same mentality and that same approach in an expansive way, then there would be no need nor would there be room nor would it be celebrated as cancel culture Mm -hmm. being the way to operate because Mm -hmm. the last thing that i think anyone you know needs is to be isolated to be canceled to be removed Mm -hmm. or like you said to be disposed of a person to be disposed of because of an error in judgment you know, a poor you know behavior that had a negative result. And it doesn't mean that communal account accountability or a loving community that holds one and, and others, members of the community accountable for their behaviors is dismissing the severity of the harmful behavior by approaching it from a place of love. The intention I think there would be to say, it is because I love you that I want you to recognize the harmful behavior. And the person who's been harmed, it is because I love you that I want you to recognize that you are being seen and that your feelings do matter. But just canceling, that's just, it feels you like- You can't it, cancel
1: anybody though, too. It's like, it's not possible. <laughs> Where are they going to go? Think I think that there are tools, when I think of cancel culture in its most positive sense, I think of it as a set of tools and resources that then in turn get to people who are- uh, egregiously abusing um, resources and still gaining resources in an abundant way. Like I think of an R. Kelly type situation where his money has protected him, his fame has protected him. He got still people to this day protesting for him uh, to, you know, not be held accountable for the harm that he's caused. Right. He is unwilling to admit to or to be in right relationship to the people he's harmed, and so as um um like even thinking about cancel culture it's like r kelly and r kelly you wouldn't have gotten his attention without a bunch of people strategizing around calling him out a bunch of people then telling their stories a bunch of community uh, moving in the world to try and keep those people safe etc etc but like uh an, an average joe you know what I'm saying? Who would be stripped of not just their job, but their access to basic resources. Right. I don't believe people should be homeless, starving no. and and without community ever in their life for uh, almost anything. Right. I get that. That's like the, the hardest part about imagining that is that when we're connected on the side of loss or on the side of receiving the harm. Right. It doesn't often. Um, allow room for us to be able to grieve this thing without a reconciliation of of something else right like right i, I often you know think about the space of like are we where are we satisfied with the process of cancel culture like yes. what is satisfiability in cancel culture or is it just their death is it their homelessness is it their disposability and right. that's the only kind of pushback i have so though i think that uh Though I am not someone who supports um, mainstream understandings of cancel culture, mm-hmm. I do understand how some of the tools that are within it can get the attention of the powerful.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think, like you said, it, it's for for that practice to be continual. It's what is the end game here? What are we? What? How do we know when we've been? Like you said, how? Have we, how do we know that we've been satisfied? you know, do we want their head on a platter? Do -hmm. you want their firstborn? Do you want, like you said, homeless? Do you want death? Like what, what is the end game? And then depending on what that is, does that really resolve the one who's been harmed? Does that soothe the hurt? Mm -hmm. Does that heal the trauma? Does it undo what's been done? No, you know, I don't
1: think I don't think any form of punishment ever does, right? Like you could send somebody who's murdered, someone to prison for 20 years mm-hmm. we've continued a cycle of harm by sending that person i'm an abolitionist so uh, you we, we continue a cycle of harm by by handing them over to a system that is not actually rehabilitative absolutely we continue the harm patterns we create new victims rather than reconciling the harm through healing and support right. and then the person who has was harmed not only does more often than that, and i'll speak for myself mm-hmm. as a survivor of child sexual abuse like mm-hmm. i'm like nothing changes the fact that that happened nothing changes the fact that I grieve that and deal with that I will for the rest of my life but also like I'm 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 I know that the way that I want to still be able to respond to it and way I try to practice it in my own life is Mm -hmm. like how do I be in right relationship to my healing and the fact that I don't get to choose what happens to a person whose life I don't care about Like we don't get to. And so, you know, that's deeply important to me.
0: Absolutely. I agree 100 percent, 100 percent. Also, as a survivor of sexual trauma in my early youth, recognizing that no matter what happened to that other person, it was never going to absolve or resolve the impact of the trauma. That responsibility That's the hardest part. falls mm-hmm. on me, you know what I mean? And so, so yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And I think that the more that people are willing to have the conversation about what is your end game and how does this actually benefit your healing? How does this actually help you be able to overcome whatever it is that was so harmful? And are we just continuing and perpetuating this, this chain reaction of I harm you, you harm him, she harms her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera where does that end? You know where where's the right, end game for right. that? You know so,
1: and and what do we do to be able to, like if we do find a place of satisfaction with regards to healing within the harm and moving forward, mm-hmm. what happens to the person who committed the harm? What life do they get to live? What is the rest of their life look like? Right. Have we imagined those possibilities? Or every time they rebuild their life, are we still able to snatch them off their platforms to make sure they don't have no money and and call them out for? Like so, all those things are still like very murky waters, and right. I want uh, you know I I know a lot of really brilliant thinkers who are think who are uh, reimagining and thinking deeply about this, mm-hmm. and I, I I'm really grateful because I want this is the stuff that I want to see. Like I want to see people talking about all aspects of continued life right. and sustaining community because none of us are without being harm doers, just as none of us are without being harmed. Right, and on either side of that, we have to pay attention to the fact that. I forget who said this um, in a book. Um, I heard it on a podcast, in it, and I saw it in a book. They referenced the book rather, mm-hmm. and they were talking about a person who a person who commits an act of harm is not meeting harm for the first time.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: Absolutely. so, so those patterns are continued constantly. Yep. And how do we uh, bridge the gap between right relationship in community ac- accountable justice mm-hmm. and? Um, the continuation of life because life does go on after harm and that's so hard it's been hard for me as a survivor and it's so hard for so many of us so I think it just takes a lot a lot of uh, you know people who have the capacity to continue
0: thinking about these things I agree I agree wholeheartedly thank you for that thank you for that Time for a break. Time for a breather. One thing that we often forget to do as we move throughout our lives, throughout our day, is to breathe. So I invite you right now to allow three deep, intentional breaths to enter and exit your body. And by the time you're done, we will be ready to continue. We are going to switch gears a little bit. Sure. And yeah, I
1: like when you switch gears. Moving
0: into <laughs> moving into what I like to call this is my like my fun part of this conversation. I like to play this little. I call it a game, but it's not really a game. But it's it's fun for me, so it feels like a game. It feels like play. So I'm going to give you a couple of sentences, and you get to complete them, taking up as much okay. or as little space as you'd like. So the very okay. first one is. I am happiest
1: when? When I am shipping my own happiness. Um, I'm happiness when pleasure is at the center of all I have and everything I'm doing, whether that be gratitude, sex, friendships, um, watering plants, whatever that looks like.
0: Okay. How about, I know I'm fed up when?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm fed up when... I'm too tired to even cry. Um, so I think it, it matters a lot to me as an empath who absorbs the energy of the world constantly that I am in release practice. Cause when I get to fed up space, I'd be irritated and I don't want nobody around me. Don't even breathe over here. I just go into my turtle shell and, and, and stay away from everything. But I, I, I try to tend to myself before I get there. Cause fed upness, creates a whole other world of possibilities for uh, violence to yourself and to anything around you so I'm like I don't ever want to get to
0: a fed up space understood understood and recognizing what your like telltale signs are that you're getting close to that and being able to implement soothing practices release practices whatever's needed because I feel you yes I feel you Yep. how about this I know I've made an impact when
1: Mm, that's so good i know i've made an impact when people who are part of my community who aren't considered disposable in the world Mm -hmm. are transformed right before me and when i say transformed i mean um after so much resistance to a thing they've been open to the possibilities of how it can change their lives and and that includes um you know People, I've seen people who have been homophobic their whole lives mm-hmm. be completely transformed and fight for, uh, you know, queer rights and policy. I've seen people who are in the church, you know, because I was raised in the Pentecostal church and, and come around and, and and actually want to be in my relationship with my humanity. And this is what keeps me doing this work is like to see transformation happen
0: mm-hmm. is
1: just Oh man, it's it's a drug like no other. <laughs> keep you in the work. Yes,
0: sure. it does. It keeps you in the work because it's it's the evidence. You know, it's like universe source showing proof. Like, yep, keep going. See person transform. Yep. See heart open. See mind change. Like, just keep keep going. It serves as a. And where them
1: statistics at?
0: Where, where them? They, at? Let me see those tell us how many people going to prisons and doing
1: this and doing that. But <laughs> how many? Like can we can, like what's the percentage of people who are transformed by love? We ain't got no statistics for that. Exactly. Who's <laughs>
0: responsible for that research and quantifying? Who is Understand. doing those numbers? What is that looking like? I agree wholeheartedly. Exactly. Wholeheartedly. Okay, so the next one is I want to be known for my
1: Oh. I want to be known for my ability and capacity to shape shift to love. Mm-hmm to um change the world to um to change how people view healing mm-hmm. and i want to be known for my own transformative kindness um because i was a, an angry Ooh, just i say just even two years ago mm. i would drag you head to toe Because you know, I could tell you any book, I could reference anything, I could weaponize any content, Mm -hmm. and you know, you probably couldn't tell these days. I'm much more gentle, but I definitely it's it's a lot. Definitely, um, a lot I've learned. So I want to be known for my kindness. I want to be known for as the evidence of transformation.
0: I love that. I love that. And you know, I I like to hear. That people had a before story, you know, what my son would call an origin story, because a lot of times, you know, we get to a certain point in our development and that's when we really create an expansive platform and we become more visible and people know our names and so on and so forth. But sometimes they don't know that. This story also had a beginning that didn't look like what it is right now. And to be able to recognize that and to say, I want to be known, I want to be known for for who I am now. And also for people to know there was a place, there was a time, there was a person that existed before me. So people can see the the capability, like you said, being a representation of transformation. So the last one I have for you is I showed myself love today by...
1: Today, that's a great question. I showed myself love today by affirming my masculinity. So, and I mean that to say, um, for so much of my life, I've connected myself to my masculine energy in a very complex and in-depth way. Mm -hmm. Um, But the world around me can't really hold me often because uh, it's constantly trying to connect me in some way to patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But today I like really affirmed myself via my journal and was like, like my masculinity is so different than the world can even contain or hold with language because it's gendered like the or the world has gendered it. It's like, what is masculinity before we decided or men decided that that energy belonged to them and, and then shaped and created power dynamics around it? How do we harness and understand the tools, resources, and access that masculinity affords the people that embody it, rather than using it to weaponize uh, one another and keep people bound to a particular power construct that doesn't even completely serve men? If you ask me, so yeah, um, I, I affirm my love, my my love for myself by also, you know, recognizing that my masculinity is very much alive. I cannot be emasculated, and that the world. In and of itself may not be able to hold me, but I have to know how I'm so much more free than the limitations of the world. So that reminder. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. Oh yeah. I I affirm you in that affirmation of self. I, I love that. I love that. Well, before I thank you release this conversation, I um I like to end each of my podcast episodes with a little mini oracle reading. I have a deck of oracle cards here and it is the oracle of e and it's a really fun light-hearted deck and it has exactly mm-hmm. 52 cards in the deck so the invitation is for you to select a number between 1 and 52.
1: my spirit
0: just said 33 33 all right let me pull that one out of here and what's cool is that there's a little guidebook that comes with each card I mean that comes with the deck and gives a little more insight on each card but the number for 33 the message is open your presence open open your, <laughs> your presence who doesn't like to open presents right so I'm going to read a little right. bit from the guidebook and the message open your presence have you ever seen a time lapse of a flower blooming its petals opening wide that's your new role model visualize yourself opening your arms wide embracing mm. all the prosperity and abundance that's flowing your way receive 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 and then pass it on
1: i love that thank you so much for sharing that that was really amazing and probably a gentle reminder i need it
0: excellent 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 i'm glad to hear that well this has been a pleasure and a privilege i have enjoyed spending the last you know couple of minutes chatting with you and just getting to know a little bit more about you know who you are what you stand for thank you for being so vulnerable and so open and i appreciate your passion and your commitment to showing us how to speak and operate and move from a place of love in a very intentional and a very activational way. And I think that yeah. if you continue to do the work that you're doing, you will continue to have an impact on this world in in a way that is not easily going to be forgotten. So I'm just grateful for your presence and, and everything that you do. I'm just, I'm so excited. So thank you, thank you, thank you again for saying yes to being a part of this.
1: Listen, please, the pleasure is mine. I am so, so grateful we got to connect. This is one of the reasons I love Clubhouse. This is probably my sixth podcast booking since i jumped on clubhouse so it's really really great and i'm so grateful for how all these different apps um have created community in a time when we can't really be in person that often so um thank you so much for having me i really do feel honored to have even been selected especially so soon i think we spent one or two rooms together and you were like, I oh, thank you be for my podcast. And I felt so honored by that. So thank you so much for your
0: time as well. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. We well, enjoy the rest of your, your day and your, your week and uh, just continue to be, be blissful and be blessed in everything that you do.
1: Thank you, Keyshawn. Take care of yourself. Absolutely.
0: You too. Okay. Peace. Peace. <laughs> it's time to wrap this up. And I just want to say very sincerely, thank you. You have your choice of thousands of different podcasts that you could be listening to each day. And I appreciate you for choosing this to be one of them. Right now in this moment, I see the light, I see the love, the wisdom, the beauty, the prosperity, the creativity and the pure joy that shines within each of you. And I bow humbly before your divinity. Namaste.